A Mucky Business with Tim Farron. Hello, I'm Tim Farron and welcome to the show which delves into the mucky business of politics through the eyes of Christians. You might well think that politics is tainted by compromise and sin. Well, of course, you'd be right. But then again, so is everything else since the fall. And I think we should be praying in an informed way for our brothers and sisters who operate in the world of politics. Today, we'll be joined by Paul Cook. Paul is the head of advocacy at the Christian International Aid and Development Charity, Tear Fund. We'll talk about the work Tear Fund is doing around the world and how it goes about campaigning within politics. But first, we're late to the party, I know, but everyone else seems to have shared their opinion on the Prince Harry situation, so we thought it only right that we should share ours. Whether you admit it or not, I suspect you've already got an opinion on all this. The obvious Christian response is to have compassion on the Duke of Sussex. He is our neighbour. He's a son, a husband, a father. He was a young boy who lost his mum. He was a teenager whose every action was scrutinised by the press. He is an adult whose wife faces racial abuse. In our thoughts and words about him, we should be gracious and kind. Ephesians 4.32 says, Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God has forgiven you. That's the easy answer and a right answer to this whole debacle. Let's be kind and compassionate towards a hurting man. But a compassionate Christian response does not stop there. As we learn in James chapter 2, we can't just say to Harry and Meghan, I'm sorry, go in peace, keep warm and well fed. If we're to truly understand and to care, we need to look at how society has responded to Harry and Meghan and why it's responded this way. In 2020, the Financial Times wrote, the balance of public opinion on the Harry-Meghan affair is the latest test of identity. And more than two years later, that is still the case. What you think about the Sussexes is just a battle in the UK's ongoing culture war, a social conflict which focuses on our differences as opposed to the things that bring us together. It focuses on anger over gentleness and feelings over truth. I confess that my strongest feelings on this matter are towards those who are endlessly critiquing the couple. I don't understand the obsession. Do those who write angrily about them really feel anger? Or is it just confected to sell papers? Why would anyone feel such apparently visceral hatred towards a couple they've never met? I get that this is a significant issue. After all, we have a constitutional monarchy, and so allegations of bad behaviour at its heart do have political relevance. The question seems to be, who started this spat? Well, if you compare and contrast the coverage of Meghan with the coverage of the Princess of Wales over the years, it is simply jarring. The tone of the Meghan coverage is sneering, dismissive, accusatory, and there are elements of racism within it. As Christians seeking to follow Jesus, is it godly for us to approve of or spread gossip about anyone? No. In Ephesians, we are implored to not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. If we are seeing accusatory gossip on our timelines regularly, then maybe we need to have a prayerful look at the media we are consuming and ask, is this godly? Let's not allow harmful and divisive rhetoric to come between us and create a hostile and unkind society when it should be one of love and compassion. 
All this said, I don't think Harry's actions have been entirely wise. If I had 10 minutes with him on his own, I'd share 1 Peter 4 verse 8. Love covers a multitude of sins. It's not that our love eradicates our sin. It's that Jesus's love, shown by his death on the cross for us, does so. In response, our sacrificial, humble love for others doesn't pay for our sins, but it can deny our sins the oxygen they need. If we look outwards to others, conscious of our need for forgiveness, determined to seek the best for others, we can squeeze out the inward-looking rut that Harry has found himself in. Jesus dying for us gave us the space and the opportunity to acknowledge our sin, accept forgiveness, and extend that forgiveness to others. It feels as though Harry is desperate to eradicate any iteration that he has done anything wrong. Yet we've all done wrong, but there is only one side of the story being told by Harry in his book, Interviews and Documentary. This side demonises his family and tells of conversations that I imagine the King and Prince William would have expected to remain private. In this monarchical media frenzy, we are kidding ourselves if we claim to know the perfect truth. Working out the truth is not the way out of this mess. The way out is through Jesus Christ. As Christians, we should illuminate a different path, one which recognises we are all in need of forgiveness, that God's grace shows no favouritism, and which seeks reconciliation over conflict. We now sing, God save the King. Well, he surely saved our late Queen, so let's mean it when we sing it, and also pray for God to work a genuine and lasting reconciliation between Harry and his father and brother, that they may all come to know the immense love and grace of Jesus Christ. A Mucky Business with Tim Farron. So to our guest this week, Paul Cook from Tear Fund. Paul, it's an absolute pleasure to have you with us. How are you? Very good, thank you. It's great to be with you. Yeah, well, we're really grateful that you've given your time to be on the show. So let's let's begin with a question that I know we love to ask and love to hear the answer to, which is tell us a little bit about how you came to faith. Sure. Well, um, I wasn't brought up as a Christian. I was sort of raised in a, I guess, a very typical English middle class, um, non-faith following uh, family, lovely parents, but no, no particular faith. Uh, and as I was growing up, I, I, one of my real passions has always been history. I've always been a bit of a history buff. I love a bit of ancient history. And when I was going through school, uh, my initial plan was to um, become an archaeologist. And so when I got to my A-levels, I needed to do chemistry and history uh, for that. But the chemistry A-level clashed on the timetable, so I couldn't do that. So I had to find another A-level. And I, I was just sort of looking through and I thought, oh, religious studies, that sounds kind of vaguely interesting. I sort of enjoyed that a little bit lower down the school. So I did that. And and of course, I also thought, oh, there's all those sort of Hittites and Egyptians and Canaanites, all that bit of history in there. So that'd be great. So I did that. And I was taught for two years by um, two absolute atheist uh, lecturers. Uh, but uh, through the course and the process of that, we did a lot about um, the person of Jesus and the historical person of Jesus and really looking into that evidence of who Jesus was. And doing all of that sort of research and reading actually got me really asking questions about actually what is, who is this guy and what are the claims about the Christian faith? And um, I had a friend who was a Christian. I mentioned it to him one time. And of course, he, he latched onto me and took me along to church uh, where I could have some of those questions answered. But really just doing the research and the reading and looking at the history and the theology, I was really convinced that this is true, actually, that what, what Jesus said, what he claimed, his death and resurrection was true. And that was what led me to faith. So it was that real passion of history uh, uh, led me to become a Christian when I was 18. 
that's a wonderful account. I mean, I guess the, the, the knowing that Christianity is true and that what Jesus says, therefore, has enormous significance, that isn't just an intellectual acceptance. It's a, a, a placing of your trust in him and not just in terms of the, your, your place in eternity, but also how you live out your life whilst you're here. And that leads kind of neatly into what you then did next. Um, archaeology was not the line of work you went into. How did you end up in the line of work that you are? <laughs> Absolutely. Well, um, uh, about a year after I'd made this decision uh, to follow Jesus and sort of welcomed him into my life and joined a church and got involved. And, and as you say, not just the intellectual side, but really sort of knowing him personally. Um, I went along to a Christian festival I'm sure many people will have heard of called Soul Survivor. Uh, and this is going back a bit to the early 90s. So I think this was the second ever Soul mm -hmm. Survivor. And um, I went to a seminar there that was talking all about the issues of global poverty and justice and inequality and what life was really like for you know those in the two thirds world, the majority world, um, living in absolute poverty compared to my very sheltered English middle class upbringing. Uh, and actually, that really led me to to you know question: Well, if this is true, this really changes fundamentally everything about what it means to be a Christian. You know, how can we as Christians sort of live through this and do nothing? How can we we do nothing? It really fundamentally changes what we it means to be a Christian, and that that really stuck with me. And I remember about a month afterwards in church, sort of praying and really feeling God was saying that this is a real life calling for you. I really you know, this is something that God has put on my life to really spend my life working in this area around the issues of poverty and justice and advocacy and, and governance. So tell us a little bit about Tear Fund, your head of advocacy there. Um, many people listening will have heard of the charity, some will know a lot about it, um, others will know nothing at all. So tell us what Tear Fund is and, and does. Sure. So um, that journey sort of led me uh, through various steps to, to come to Tear Fund. And uh, Tear Fund, so it's a Christian relief and development organization. It's been going for about 55 years um, and is working in countries across Africa, Asia, Latin America, about 50 different countries. And what Tear Fund's real sort of passion is, is working through, with and through the church. So seeing the church fulfilling the role that God's given it to sort of bring uh, his kingdom into the world and bring transformation into the world. So in everything we do, we're really trying to work through local churches in those countries to tackle the poverty they see in their own communities right on their doorstep. So supporting them to take the actions they're already taking in their communities to bring livelihoods, to bring, you know, crops and food for people to help them with water and sanitation to help them with shelter and housing and education and healthcare, all those things that the church can provide but also helping the church to you know speak out to those in power so to hold governments to account to say you know that we should be providing public services here there shouldn't be corruption here there should be good governance here mm -hmm. where is that road that we have all paid for where is that hospital we were promised um and really supporting the church to hold governments to account as well so that's in many of the countries where we work but it's also true at this end so how do we as christians and churches how do we really work and support churches to to bring about you know show god's love into our own communities right here in the uk but also to you know hold our governments to account at the uk level and, and globally through the un and other systems as well so tier fund's really passionate about working through the churches to bring sort of development and transformation around the world a mucky business with tim farron we're speaking to Paul Cook from Tear Fund. Paul, you spoke earlier about the advocacy role of Tear Fund challenging government. So we can imagine working alongside churches in a community to build a hospital, to uh, improve sanitation, uh, clean water supplies and so on. What does it look like when you are 
challenging alongside the church in this particular country, challenging the government of that country uh, on what issues and how does that lobbying happen? Yeah, so it's, it's very different in different countries. It, it's sort of speaking out and holding governments to account, obviously, is very different in difficult contexts. It, it's, you know, and in some contexts, it's pretty dangerous how you go about doing that. They're not all free uh, democracies, of course. Um, so it's really quite contextualized. But um, it's, we, we're working with sort of colleagues uh, right across the world who have a huge amount of skill and experience in doing that in their countries and know what works in their country. Um, so to give an example, one of my colleagues uh, from Nigeria would say, well, for you in the UK, you know, you might um, demonstrate in the streets, you might go and visit your MP and talk to them, you might message your MP or write to them mm. uh, and get your point across. But that that's too confrontational in our context, that's not going to work. But what he will say is he'll, he'll take something like the, uh, his country's international commitments on climate change and and he'll be contacting government ministers and saying, look, we're so proud of our nation i'm so proud of uh, the things that we have said we will do as a nation now how do we play our part we as churches want to play our part how can we work alongside you so you'll sort of come alongside governments like that and then begin to uh, you know nudge them and push them in the right direction and other kind of work in that sort of context they'll also do some of that great work in in the field on the ground in the community so he he's doing some amazing work in in waste recycling so across developing world you know very few communities have any sort of waste recycling and if anybody's traveled in the developing world you see um you know mountains of plastic waste uh, mm. in in these countries and that creates huge problems of sort of health uh, as well as all the environmental issues that we know about plastic ends up in river systems ends up in the oceans it, it's a huge issue um so they're doing some amazing work with the churches they're bringing in community-based recycling projects that's clearing up all that waste and all that rubbish actually turning it into useful products it's creating jobs as well and it's good for the environment as well so you get a real triple win there and then being able to showcase that to governments and governments saying well that works we'd like to do some mm -hmm. of that and they'll adopt that and scale it up as national policy so that's just one example but mm -hmm. we'd have similar examples in, in countries around the world with uh, organizations that we work with in churches really lobbying their governments in all kinds of different and creative ways and getting real national level change on things like laws about planning and responding for disasters in in nepal mm. or in zimbabwe and haiti and countries like that where the churches have come together and really set out their vision for the nation they want which has set a real high moral bar for sort of a free transparent democracies in those countries i must say that the the style of campaigning that you do is 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 really commendable. My observation, I hope it's not too harsh, is that a lot of campaigning I see seems to be more aimed at making the campaigner feel good about themselves and their moral rectitude on an issue or, or whatever than on actually affecting change, whereas you are being ultimately uh, pragmatic about how you respect a culture that you're working within and see to genuinely affect change. You talk about one particular issue there with uh, waste, and that's going to be a major campaign that you're launching this year, isn't it, across across the world? Yeah, that's right. In March, Tier Fund and colleagues from peer organisations around the world are launching a major campaign on this issue of, of waste. Um, so the UN is currently, uh, just last year, began negotiating a new global treaty on the issues of plastic waste. And I'm sure many people would have seen on, on TV the sort of plastic waste in the oceans mm. and the appalling impact that's having on the environment. But as I say, it's a real poverty issue as well. It's... Um, 2 billion people in the world's poorest countries who do not have access to sort of waste management and recycling and mm. you see waste just piling up it, it, the fumes when it's burnt because there's no other choice are, are terrible for health you know the health issues are just leaving it lying around it, it's a huge problem it kills a million people a year untreated and unprocessed waste 
Uh, and, and the plastic part of that is a huge problem, both on the environment and uh, the poverty side. So this uh, international negotiation is agreeing a global treaty to really begin to tackle that issue. Uh, it's a negotiation that will run for the next two years. It will finish at the end of 2024. Uh, and we are wanting uh, Christians and churches around the world to really engage with that process, mm -hmm. to be lobbying their governments, encouraging them to go into those talks with really positive position so that we can uh, reduce the amount of plastic waste that, that goes out and find viable alternative options. And there are many viable alternatives to just using cheap throwaway single use mm. plastic, uh, but also to uh, ensure there's more recycling options, there's proper community waste uh, provision for every uh, community around the world. Uh, and also a key thing for us is really working with uh, waste picker communities. So again, many people would have seen on, on documentaries on TV or things like that, um, waste pickers around the world who really survive by processing these sort of mountains of waste and, and, and doing small scale waste picking. And these are incredible, you know, the, the poorest of the poor in many ways, but incredible people with real integrity and courage and, and boldness in how they speak. And a key thing for Tier Fund is bringing these people into the talks. So last year we were able to bring many of them into the talks themselves to meet with governments. And already the negotiated text is, is included really good reference to respecting and working with waste picker communities around the world so that's really key as well so we're going to be getting churches in the uk and around the world to really take action and individual christians to engage with their mps and their governments to to speak out on that issue over the next couple of years it feels that a theme of of, of the style of operation of tier fund is to fully respect the dignity on um, the it made in the image of god dignity of everybody that you're seeking to get alongside. Uh, I wonder whether we can move on to an, another major campaign issue that is a constant for you, which is about climate, climate change. We see often the debate in this country can get a bit culture war weaponized and it becomes an issue um, which maybe is you know, slightly esoteric. But the reality of your work on the ground in, in South America and Africa and Asia is that climate change is very much a human issue impacting upon people's lives. Could you tell us a little bit about that and why it's so important and why it is that Christians should should care about this? Absolutely. So, I mean, for TFM, we, we're not a, a green NGO. We're not a green mm. organisation. We're, we're a poverty-focused organisation. And so we come mm. into this absolutely because of the impact on the very poorest people around the world of a changing climate. So in the communities uh, we, we work with, we see time after time after time the impacts of a changing climate. So we'd see... Uh, the desert's growing and, and uh, land that used to be able to farm, you can't farm anymore because it's turned into desert. You see storms becoming more and more intense uh, as the years go by um, and happening more regularly, having huge impact and the seasons changing. So the number of times I, I've, you know, worked and, and traveled and met with colleagues across Africa who say, you know, we used to have five seasons, six seasons. Now we only have two seasons. And when the rains come, it's completely unpredictable. So we'll get none at all and the crops are dry and then it, it'll all come at once and it'll drown them out. So all of that is having a huge impact on on the very poorest uh, around the world. So uh, for us as Christians, if we if we love our neighbor and if we you know, read our Bibles and, and read how much there is in there about poverty and, and, and caring for those in need, then then we have to sort of engage with this issue. It, it is a poverty issue. It's a human issue. And indeed, loving our neighbour includes loving those who've not yet been uh, been born and and who will inherit this this mess, this deepening, deepening uh, trashing of the of the world that we were made to be stewards of. As we as we, as we draw to our conclusion, I'd, I'd love to ask you before. Um, we say goodbye how we can be praying for you personally and 
and how people listening to this can be doing things that will make a difference how can they join you in what you do yeah um well thanks thanks for uh, the question um so i think prayer i mean absolutely as christians obviously we, we everything we do has got to start in prayer and be, and be led out of prayer um so i think yeah we really appreciate your prayers but for these two issues that we've discussed today so this issue of, of waste and these international negotiations that will come out of that with a really really strong treaty that really makes a difference to people's lives around the world uh, it's looking positive. I think that's really doable and possible, but we know with God, all things are possible. So really prayer for that, that treaty and that negotiation process. And then on the climate issue as well, real prayer into that too. So many people have heard of the COP negotiations that happen every year. There's an annual uh, process that engages around that as well, that governments of the world are committed to. We saw good progress here in Glasgow at the end of 2021. It's been not so good over the last year, uh, but really important for more progress and climate change as well. So to pray into that issue too. And really appreciate prayers for just Tier Fund generally for the, the communities that we're working with, the privilege we have of working alongside churches and, and for us working in advocacy in that world to just yeah, keep up the good fight, be inspired and you know keep following God in, in, into all of these things. So there's a lot to pray. We love prayer for all of that. But then two other things I'd maybe suggest, say in action, say we've obviously spoken a lot today about the role of governments and that I think that's really important and for us as Christians to be holding them to account. And we see that right through the Bible in, in the role of the prophets uh, in the New Testament. We see John the Baptist challenging Herod and challenging soldiers to, to behave justly. So there's a really strong Christian tradition and around the world, you know, is Christians who really at the core of so many movements for change holding governments to account so taking action ourselves as part of that is really key so um i'd love you uh, people to go to the tier fund website tierfund.org and then follow the links to sign up and get involved with campaigning particularly on these two campaigns we have around climate change and waste uh so prayer and campaigning that would be my key things i really uh, encourage people to do those things that'd be great well, wonderful. Yes, we we echo that. And uh, so, yes, come and see your MP and uh, read read up on the tierfund.org website, uh, volunteer, uh, donate, uh, pray, uh, inform yourself. And then once you've informed yourself, don't assume your MP has informed themselves. Go in very gently, kindly, of course, <laughs> go and see them and lobby them. Uh, Paul, what an absolute joy to have you with us. Thanks ever so much. It's been a real pleasure. Thanks for having me. Each week, we give you the opportunity for you to ask any question you'd like about this mucky business of politics. It may be how an aspect of this world impacts us Christians who work within it, or maybe there's a particular issue that you're struggling to make sense of. Well, I'd love to hear from you and attempt an answer. So drop me an email to farron at premier.org.uk. Now, this week, Roe in Sheffield has sent in this question. It's a long one, but a good one. Let's bear with it. Last week... Professor Francis Davis talked about his decision to turn away from a career at Unilever, inspired by, as he put it, an outbreak of Christian social conscience. By reading the scriptures, he had concluded that Christians should be downwardly mobile to identify with those in need, as Christ did in the incarnation, ultimately laying down his life. This made me wonder about the attractions of becoming a politician. Better financial rewards are to be found elsewhere, despite the decision not to set a limit on MPs' payment from second jobs. There are physical, mental and emotional threats, plenty of inconvenience, aggro and intrusion on personal privacy. How often do MPs talk about the sacrifices being outweighed by the rewards? And how far do Christian politicians see their responsibilities as their downwardly mobile calling to follow Christ? 
Well, it is a great question, Ro, and I think I've spoken to many politicians who come at this from a different angle, Christian politicians, and you'll have heard many of their stories on the podcast over the last couple of years. If you haven't, go back and uh, and check them out. But for me personally, I would say it's not a neat journey for me. Some of my motivations were, um, they were never about making money, but they probably were laced with ambition and vanity. But as I've hopefully matured as a Christian um, uh, by God's grace, uh, then I think I have absolutely come to see that the fundamental role of a Christian in politics is to serve um, and to perform a service to their community and indeed to get their hands dirty, to be alongside the community that they're part of and to serve and meet the needs of the people within it. I think that is essentially it. I personally don't think it's really up to us as Christians in politics to legislate to make people who are not Christians live as though they were. It is, however, to live out a, a life of witness to Christ in the work that we've been given by him to do and to recognise that there is, um, whilst we are not important, the role is. And by making use of the role well, you can serve and help others who are less powerful. If you have a question for Tim, email farron at premier.org.uk. Well, let's end our time together this week in prayer. Loving Heavenly Father, we thank you for Paul Cook. We thank you for the work of Tear Fund. We thank you for the work that they do in communities and countries across the developing world. We pray for the resources they need. We pray for the relationships they need. We pray for um, your work to be done by the hands of those who follow you through Tear Fund and their partners. Um, we pray for a heart of compassion towards those in poverty um, amongst the people in this country, towards those uh, in much poorer parts of the world, that we might be alive to the big issues that affect those people, including climate change and waste, uh, other matters to do with clean water, education and health. We pray that you'd help us as we seek to follow you to live out a practical obedience to you by serving the poor, wherever they are. And Father, we lift up to you our royal family. We think in particular of, uh, of King Charles, uh, of Prince William and of Prince Harry. And we just pray for reconciliation. We pray a work of great witness would take place um, as brothers and father um, are reconciled. And that this issue of um, Prince Harry's memoir and his revelations will not be a thing that is uh, used to stoke division, but actually might lead to repentance on all sides and your name being glorified. And we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, thanks so much for joining us for this week's show. Don't forget, you can catch up on past episodes which feature interviews with party leaders, former government ministers and MPs from all the major parties. Just search for A Mucky Business on your chosen podcast provider or head to premierchristianradio.com forward slash a mucky business. It's been great to have you with us. See you soon.